Hello, beautiful. This is Reverend Jennifer Hadley, and the recording you're about to listen to is part of the 2011 Living a Course in Miracles teleclass. Our intention in offering this class is to give you clear tools and practices that you can use to align with love every day in every area of your life. No one can do your healing for you. You must decide to choose love in every moment to the very best of your ability. Remember, miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. Intend to live a miraculous life of love and share the benefits of your healing and your expansion with everyone because you're one with them. Please pause the recording before the class starts and write down your intention in listening to the class. Partner up with your own higher Holy Spirit self. And please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the class. Welcome, John Mundy. Thank you. Yes, so glad to have you here. I'm really excited for our class today, and I'm going to invite everyone to start with uh, a prayer, to join us in prayer, and I'm going to invite you to place your hand on your heart, connecting in, and taking a breath of gratitude together, so grateful and so thankful that the teachings of A Course in Miracles exist for us to study for us to open our minds and consciously become aware of the love that we are. Take another breath of gratitude together and we partner up with the higher self, the holy self, the holy spirit self, recognizing that we are one with the one, that we never have been separate and we never will be separate from our divinity and the divinity of all life. It is this divinity that unites us. Love unites us. There is no other. And we dedicate our conversation, our class, our attention to this knowing, to opening our minds so that we literally can be a revelation of truth in our own life. This is what I know for each and every one of us. So grateful and so thankful right now to release any and all thoughts of separation and to remember that we are the love, that we are born to love and be loved, and this is our true identity. And we are sharing the benefits of our healing, our expanded awareness with all beings, all of our brothers and sisters, so grateful to remember that we're one with them. In gratitude, we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. So, John, our class this week is about learning to choose love, to go the other way. And 
it occurred to me earlier when I was just sitting with uh, the topic and what what questions to ask you, and I think we need to start with some basics because we have a lot of people who come to this class who've never cracked A Course in Miracles, don't own a copy, don't understand it, and so can you define the ego for us? No. <laughs> Actually, when I say no, that's actually true. The reason you can't define the ego, and this is really kind of fun, actually, there's two things you cannot define in terms of the Course in Miracles. One thing you can't define is God. Now, that's pretty simple because God is just way beyond words, way beyond definitions. I mean, anything that we would say, would you know, we can say God is love or truth. You know, those kind of things kind of point in that direction. We have some sense of understanding what that means, but eventually in the courses, we're just symbols of symbols twice removed from reality, so we're really talking about something that goes beyond any of that kind of sense that we can have. And actually, you can't define the ego either, and the reason you can't define the ego is because in terms of the Course in Miracles, there's no such thing. It, it actually doesn't exist. There's a line in the Course where it says, prepare you now for the undoing of what never was. So it, it's not even something that God recognizes, the Holy Spirit recognizes at one point. It says there's no communication between the Holy Spirit and the ego. The reason why there's no communication between the Holy Spirit and the ego would be simply because in order for there to be a, a dialogue, uh, then the Holy Spirit would have to recognize that there was such a thing as an ego. Now, having said all of that, obviously we need a definition of the ego for working purposes, I mean, for practical mm -hmm. purposes. It's a word that appears many, many times in the Course. And my favorite definition of the ego is that the ego is that which defines, period. Defines, interprets, projects, judges, analyzes. It's really the thing which is always making up the world. And in terms of the Course of the Miracles, we're always, you're always making up the world. I'm always making up the world. We're always making up the world. The world is always making up the world. It's a constant process of, of kind of bringing definition to it. The news on television at night is defining what the world is, what's going on in the world. So, you know, we seem to have these bodies which define who we are, personalities that define who we are, etc. And the course is really none of that exists, but it certainly looks like it does, so we have to have a working definition to to begin to try to understand what it is that we're trying to move beyond, what we're to overcome the separation. Once the separation is overcome, once that sense of division is overcome, well then there there's no I in heaven would be the one way to say it. There's no there's no me and God. There's no separateness. There couldn't be a sense of separate, because ultimately where the Course is going to is going to oneness. You know, oneness is completeness, oneness, wholeness. You know, one is the experience of being back in unity with God once again. In which case there is just no ego. But it looks like there is. In fact, this whole book of 669 page text is telling us about this thing that we need to be overcoming. We've got all these 365 lessons which are giving us a pathway by which we can slowly come to a process of letting go of this thing that looks so real to us. So, simplest definition, 
is that that which defines and judges, projects, mm-hmm. except the world. Yeah, that's very, very helpful because it's that defining that creates that sense of I'm, I'm, I'm isolating this, I'm separating this, I'm labeling right. this. I think one of the most important lines in the Course, which, which is perfectly in keeping with what mysticism is all about, is the first three words in Chapter 21, three-word sentence, appears twice in the Course. It's not too many sentences, it appears twice which just says very simply, projection makes perception, period. Mm-hmm. That's a very important line. So what the Course is actually trying to help us to do is to stop the projection. And, and that's what happens actually in mystical experiences. And mystical experiences, for some reason, the mind stops projecting. And when it stops the projection, then you have an opportunity to see. You have an opportunity to really see because you're not making up the world. You're letting the world be what it is, which is one of the main things that the Course emphasizes. Is like, I think one of my favorite lines from the Course is, let him be what he is. Let, which it, it could be expensive. Let her be who she is. Let it, the situation be what it is. It's one of the hardest things for us to do is to leave things alone and just to let the world be what it is. Here's the basic difference between a mystic and what I would call an ordinary person. By an ordinary person, I mean everybody. That's <laughs> all of us mm-hmm. all the time. We're all ordinary folks, right? The ordinary individual is a projector. So we're constantly analyzing, interpreting. There's a line in the Course where it says the ego analyzes, the Holy Spirit accepts. That's a very big difference. And we're always engaged in this process of analysis. Now it's a, so what's we're really being asked to do is to stop the analysis, stop the interpretation, stop trying to figure it out because you're never going to be able to figure it out. <clears throat> when you stop that, then there's interesting thing happens is then you just get to see. But you're seeing purely, you're seeing directly, you're seeing without the interference of some sort of ego kind of glasses that you've got on. So... The hardest thing for people to do is to recognize when they are identified with the ego. Well, in some ways it's pretty easy because you can just be sure that we're almost constantly identified. (laughs) It's the exception not to be identified with it, but go ahead. Right, well, but the people who are even dedicated to leading a loving life and to studying these teachings and, and bringing them alive, the most challenging thing really is to let go of the opinions and the judgments oh, sure. and the projections. So right. this week, you picked the topic, you know, to um, go the other way. Right. And so let's let's... Let's provide the folks with some motivation because I always say I don't get out of bed in the morning without motivation. I don't make a cup of tea without motivation. So what is the motivation for being willing to learn to go the other way? And then we'll figure out how to go the other way. Well, the main motivation motivation? is um, something called happiness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's your own happiness. I mean, it's really being contented. 
we have this tremendous resistance to doing what God would have us do with our lives because we're all kind of like recalcitrant children. You know, we kind of say to God, well, thank you very much, God, but I'd really rather do it myself. And God says, <laughs> fine, you know, I mean, go ahead. You know, God doesn't stop us. You know, you have free will. That's a part of what divinity is all about is this free will thing. God doesn't try to manipulate us, you know. So then we go off and we try to do it on our own, but it never works. It never really leads us to happiness because there's there's always this this thing inside us that's saying, this is not quite it. I'm not quite there. I'm not really doing what I need to be doing you know, to fulfill my destiny, to pursue the goals that I really need to be pursuing, which is just simply getting the mind back in line with the mind of God. That's what the whole course is really about. It's about help us to remove the blocks through the awareness of love's presence. So I remove the blocks through the awareness of love's presence. The mind is automatically just brought back in line with the mind of God. And Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and so many people think that the pursuit of happiness, is, it has to do with external circumstances. And so they are... The way I think of it is they're out there busily rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. Right. Well, it never, of course, has anything to to do with that because what we do since the separation, right, since the separation, since Adam bit into the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, I mean, since since the (laughs) point at which duality entered into the mind and someone thought the thought that it was possible to think a thought outside the mind of God. That's the separation. Since that moment, the whole, you know, depending on how you want to view historical time, several billion of us have been doing to do the same thing that, that Adam tried to do, which is to think this thought outside of the mind of God, which means then to create our own world. That's, that's essentially <clears throat> what our biggest problem is. Our biggest problem is we're going to say, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to build my world, and then we go out and we try to build our own little kingdoms. And it's the kingdom of our, our personality, the kingdom that we have with our family, the kingdom we have with our church, with the, the community. With the, it's this, this whole business of self-assertion and individuality. I'm going to be an individual. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be separate. I'm going to be other than God. But what we really want is we want to... to to be God. I mean, we want to do what God is asking us to do. I don't mean that there's nothing arrogant about that. You're not like trying to replace God or usurp God in any way. You're just trying to get back in alignment with God once again. It's hard to do because, well, think for just a moment. Uh, Jesus in the Gospels says, straight is the way, narrow is the gate that leads into life. Few there are that go therein. Broad is the way. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many there are that go therein. It takes a lot of focus. To be, the, the course is unequivocal and, and very directed in terms of bringing the mind, focusing the mind, bringing it back in alignment. Once again, there's a wonderful illustration for this, if I can take three or four minutes to, to give it, which is, folks may have heard, but it, it really works so well, which is namely GPS systems, because we've all got GPS systems. Right. Well, not we don't all have them, but 
Well, yeah. More and more and more folks have GPS systems, or you ride in the car, somebody's got a GPS system. The way the thing works is you take this, I think it's interesting, it's a little black box, right? So you mm-hmm. take this little black box, and you punch in your intended destination. And there's a button on there called home, so you just hit home. And this, <laughs> what's room? At the speed of light, it's actually how fast it is, at the speed of light, that little box somehow or another makes contact with three to four satellites whirling around the Earth at 17,000 miles per hour. They get your latitude, your longitude, your altitude, where you are mm-hmm. in time. They put all that information together and instantaneously tell you exactly what you need to do foot by foot to get exactly where you want to go. It's just mm-hmm. remarkable how that works. Well, this is exactly the way that the course works. GPS, there's actually, there's a section in the course that's called God's Plan for Salvation. So that's GPS. This is God's Plan for Salvation. And Lesson 49 <laughs> from the workbook says, God's voice speaks to me all through the day. And that's true. We are literally constantly being given the right information about which way to go to, for our own greatest happiness, to be most in alignment, to most be feeling like we're, we're fulfilling our function, we're doing exactly what we're being asked to do. But <clears throat> we have this arrogance. I mean, that's really kind of the, the root of the ego is this arrogance or this this need, you know, the need to satisfy the self, the need to take care of all the, the bodily needs and all the wants, right? So we're going to, as I said, do it our own way. And again, God says, fine, you know, go ahead and do what you want to do. So we make these choices, and you know, like you kind of go, well, he's cute, I think I'm going to chase him for a while. And you start going down the path, and instantaneously, at that very moment, we've got recalculating, recalculating, right. you know, constantly giving you the right information you need to get you back onto the main road, back to that straight path, and that leads that narrow gate that leads there. So it's not surprising that we wander around all over the place. At the same time, doing all these detours, at the same time that we're doing that, we're given very clear information about how to... What the course is, the course is a guidebook. It's a very, very good guidebook for helping us literally get back on course. That's beautiful, John. I I know that once they invented GPS, is. Ministers, spiritual teachers yeah, sure. from all of the, we all grab that because it's, it's, oh, sure. And your description of it, I think, is the best I've ever heard. That was really, really helpful. So let me ask you now, you have been studying the course for more than 30 years, right? 36. Okay. So in that time, you, like the rest of us, have had many challenges. Can you tell us how you have handled some of the most difficult challenges? What are the tools that you use in your mind? How do you hold it in your mind? How do you work with it minute by minute in order to liberate yourself? Well, just recognizing that whatever is going on, um, I had a heart attack a year and a half ago. You know, it's just like, it's like mm. whatever it is that's going on, that somehow or another, I wrote that into my own script. <laughs> so, you know, listen, pay attention. You know, what is this experience telling me? 
why am I why am I actually going through this? There's nothing that we that we aren't going through that doesn't have its lesson in it. In fact, it's a very good way to see that this whole this whole world is really a school. Our, our bodies are really the kind of a schoolhouse in a way. We're mm-hmm. obviously here to learn the lessons. So, what's really important when something like that happens is to get really, really quiet, and it, because it's a good time to to refocus and to get back in in alignment once again. Because obviously, we've gone out of you know. If I'm having a a relationship difficulty, you know, what is it that that I did to create? And I had some sort of need. I had some sort of want. I had some sort of anticipation about the way the relationship was supposed to work. It doesn't work that way. So I'm finding fault with the relationship. And the thing I really need to look at is that I'm the one who's finding fault with the relationship. And why do I need it to work in a particular way? So much of the course, as I said a moment ago, it just comes down to letting things be what they are. And then to seeing it and and accepting it and really perpetually asking what am I? What am I really learning here? And then being responsible. The course is about being responsible. It's about being absolutely, totally responsible for absolutely everything that comes our way. Because then you can't be complaining about they did this and they did that and look how I got dumped on this. A really good section in the course section, chapter 21, section two, called Responsibility for Sight, which. A lot of the listeners probably know where it says, I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience. I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that happens to me, I ask for and I receive as I have asked. That's, it's a, if you want to be happy, that's what you say. And when you realize that it's your program, you actually wrote this script as a means of learning whatever it was that you needed to learn, and you and you act responsibly in relationship to it, things are going to start working out much, much better. I have two words that I use a lot. One, awareness, responsibility. Awareness and be really, really aware and really, really responsible. So for for folks who are new to this, uh, can you help them understand the difference between responsibility and blame. How do you know? Because sometimes it it can be very subtle. The the mind that's looking for uh, blame, and the 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 mind that's looking for responsibility. How do you know whether you've gone into one land or the other? Well, I think it's pretty easy. You know when you're in blame. You know when you're projecting. You know when you're finding fault. You know when you're you know when you're yelling, you know when you're angry, you know when you're upset. I mean, you know when any of those things are going on. And when any of those things are going on, you can be really sure that something has happened that you're not seeing correctly. I mean, the, the, the Course in Miracles, as you know, says that anger is never justified, which doesn't mean you should never get angry. It just means that, that if you do, what you have to do is to recognize that something obviously went wrong with your thinking processes somewhere. Otherwise, you wouldn't be angry right now. So that's a really good time to, to, to stop. I mean, just literally to stop. Stop it. <laughs> what do we tell kids when they're going to come to a crossroad? You stop, you yep. look, you listen. <laughs> you, know? 
you stop, you look at what's going on, and then you, you listen. What you're listening for is the better answer. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit's guidance, rather the course of the ego always speaks first, and the, and the ego always will speak first. So you look and see what the ego's response is, which is going to be some sort of projection, <clears throat> and then you go the other way. Go the other way is mean you, you don't make that choice. You, you, you make a different kind of a choice. That's one of the most powerful things in the whole course. Um, is in defenselessness my safety line, which is, as you know, one of the workbook lessons. And if you just, there's nothing to defend. There's, that doesn't mean, if somebody walks up on the street and starts attacking your body, do everything in your power to stop them. For mm-hmm. three reasons. One, you still believe it's your body. Proof of that fact is you're hanging out in one. Two, you wouldn't want to be accessory to, to a crime. Three, Jesus in the Course says, you know, we're not called upon to be martyrs. When it says, do not defend, what it means is just do not defend your silly ego because of the moment that you're defending it, you're, you're saying that there's something that needs a defense and there's nothing that needs a defense in terms of your ego. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you don't say what the truth is in a court of law or something like that in your defense if, if you're being accused of something falsely but you know the question is how do we you know we, we say the truth but not to come from the ego not to come from this this defense attack to, to put the course really really simply if I can put it in just like two what three two word sentences do not attack do not defend do not judge I mean how simple can you get I mean just just don't and, and if you see that you're starting to do any of those things, stop, look what's going on, and that's when you choose to go the other way. Put and you said, uh, say that again? I said you put it in reverse. The, the Course talks a lot about what it calls <laughs> reversal in thinking. That's a phrase which mm-hmm. is often used, especially along and toward the end of Chapter 4. It gets used a lot. It, it it requires such a different way of looking at the world it's, it's because the ego is so into projection. It, it's so used to seeing everything and condemning everything and analyzing everything and coming up with... Well, just notice how often and you sit down with friends and over coffee or tea or whatever, what's primarily going on is opinion-making and opinion-making about the world and how it's screwed up or how other people are screwed up. All of that kind of thinking keeps us blind. It keeps us from being able to see anything because all we see is our own projections hurling right back in our face again. So that's the matter of just, I have a CD called Stop It. <laughs> when it's really, it really is. It's just a matter of stopping it, seeing it and stopping it. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I loved what you said before, John, about the ego analyzes and the Holy Spirit accepts. And right. really the Holy Spirit assists us in accepting responsibility. So right. would you say that if people can, when they stop, when they're willing to stop and stop, look, and listen at what really is going on in their mind, if if they could before they're trying to even accept responsibility, if they can notice that the ego will analyze the situation in order to assign blame. Sure. 
it's going it's not going to accept the responsibility for itself so it's going to find a problem someplace else in the world mm-hmm. but leads up to all of our wars which have mm-hmm. just run the planet mm-hmm. right. and we're so attracted to being analytical to assigning blame um, our culture is thick with that sure it is so we're taught that, that, in a very real sense, we are taught by the world that that is what smart people do. That's what intelligent people do with their ability to discern. They analyze in order to assign blame. Well, if you want to analyze something, I mean, take a look at the psychology behind this whole system that has literally been driving the world for thousands of years, which is an insane system. And the Course is very, very clear that the, the ego is insane. It's <laughs> when the, fr- the first time I saw those two airplanes go into the World Trade Center, the first time, the first thought I had was a line from the Course which says, never underestimate the insanity of the ego. The ego is completely insane and does will do insane things like flying airplanes into skyscrapers, probably screaming vengeance on the way in as though that were possible, as though that was something that God actually wanted people to do, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which, which is just, it's just this total insanity. The whole world, actually, the Course says, is insane. I and mean, we do everything we can to bring laws to try to keep people from hurting each other, etc., but you don't have to look very far to see that we're all really insane. And the new book I have, I start off with a couple of premises, and one of which is that we're all insane, and it's really helpful to recognize this, too, because then it gives you a chance to be able to do something about it. <laughs> I love the title of your book, too. Why don't you just remind everybody what it is? Uh, I think it's called Living a Course in Miracles. <laughs> <laughs> A great title. <laughs> you know, um, many of the people who come to study the course, many of the people who are listening to the class and participating, they are, like both you and I, they are people who are interested in being a loving presence in the world and sure. being a peaceful presence in the world and contributing peace and love to the world. And one of the things that we love about the teachings of A Course in Miracles is it says, seek not to change the world, but to change the way we look at the world, the way we think about the world, the way we hold the world in our mind. And uh, and also one of the great things about the Course is that teaching of I need do nothing. And yet many of the what I call the light workers of the world the, the people who would like to make the world a better place, uh, they can actually find themselves caught up in the ego by thinking that they need to do stuff in the world. Right. Sure, it's easy they to They need to help others, yeah. Right. It's easy to fall into that. When the whole idea is just really to stop the, to stop your own insanity, at which point, you will automatically be a more loving presence in the world, in which case you're going to be healing the world in terms of healing, first of all, your, your immediate relationships. I mean, the relationship with your 
your husband, your wife, your kids, your your boss, your employer, your employees. It's getting along with all those folks to start with that then begins to, to heal the world very, very slowly and very, very gradually, but it, it works and it, it ripples out from there to everywhere. So it really is having a very positive effect. And you're really not doing anything except you're not doing it. You're not creating a problem. You're not doing the projection. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you're not finding fault. It's not. It's doing that gets us into trouble. Not doing. It's over drinking. It's drinking too much. It gets into not. It's not having a drink. It's doing too much of it. It's not spending. It's overspending that gets us into trouble. You just. You can run right down the list. It's the overdoing that, gets, that produces. But it's not eating. It's eating too much that gets us into trouble, etc. So well, and wouldn't you say that that really is about what is motivating that behavior? It's not the behavior, it's the motivation. Right, because we we want to get a hold of everything we can. That's what the ego is, a wanting, needing machine. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So just stop wanting, just stop needing so much. and Let it be what it is. <laughs> so when people feel that, uh, you know, I often go back to the Buddhists who teach that the what creates suffering is an attachment, and attachments come in what I say are two flavors, <coughs> craving and aversion. Mm-hmm. So when we need something or we think we want something, then we're mm-hmm. craving it, or when we have an aversion is when we hate something or we dislike something, we need to label it, right. then we have an aversion. Right. Those are the things that create suffering. If we're suffering even the tiniest bit, then we are identified with ego. Right. And we're saying something has to be a particular way or we're going to be unhappy. (laughs) Right. We're attached to how it should be. Right, which is essentially what a special relationship is. A special relationship, because it's really any relationship, well, first of all, all of our relationships are special, but... It's especially the, the relationships in which we we want that other person to be a certain kind of person in relationship to us. They have to act a certain way in relationship to us, and then when they don't act that, we get we get to get upset with them, <laughs> which is just insane. It, it, right. So, go ahead. Well, it's really a matter of not looking for the difference and not seeing. The, 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 uh, a master was once asked, what is the difference between an enlightened man and an unenlightened man? And the difference is that the unenlightened man sees difference, and the enlightened man doesn't see the difference. There is right. no difference. There is no problem. There is there's nothing that needs to be projected onto. Right? Unless we make it a difference. Making it the difference. Think of all the difficulties we, we had with, <clears throat> with with white and black differences during the the early part of this the last century, for example, right? We slowly it so long to get over thinking that there's a difference there. There's no difference there at all. But if we're gonna put a difference there, then we're we then we've got a problem. So where this becomes 
really, really challenging for people is when they have a loved one who is self-destructive, let's say. Because I've had many, many conversations with people where a loved one is seemingly addicted to drugs, to alcohol, to sex, to whatever. And I've had conversations, as I'm sure you have, with people who the the challenge is their child or their spouse or their friend, their parent, um, and people would say, but wait a minute, they are doing something wrong. They are doing something bad. Mm-hmm. So well, what, what do you say to that person who is can't just accept that? How do they, how do they work with that? Well, this is one of the most difficult parts is letting people be who they are. And you can't fix a person, you can't really change a person unless that person is willing to make a change. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, for example, will not even, won't, they'll talk to you, but they won't do anything to help you as long as you say you don't need help. <laughs> the moment you say, I've got a problem, I help, they say, okay, we'll help you, we can help you. But you've got to be able to, you know, and willing to make that first step. I think the thing that we need to know about everyone, too, though, and what's so promising in terms of the course, is that eventually we will all come home. Eventually, you know, the course, there's this line in the course, which is really how the whole course got started, as you know, is when Bill Thetford turned to Helen Shookman and said, there must be another way, right? Well, mm-hmm. eventually, there's a, there's a line in the course where it says, eventually everyone comes to understand that there must be another way that the way that things are going with the alcohol, with the drugs, with whatever whatever the addiction is, is a kind of insanity, and eventually it will collapse. And when it collapses, then there's an opportunity for, for change to occur. It's unfortunate that the change often doesn't occur until there's some sort of like total collapse, which does occur, a health issue, for example, or or something that comes up. I think one of the things that's good that we need to know about the ego is that the ego will always implode. I mean, it it will... All false systems have a built-in implode in them. They're going to fall apart. It's like communism. We were so afraid of communism back during the 60s and the 70s and even in the 80s, you know, we like just building up all this billions of dollars we were spending on nuclear arms, which is one of the things that created this great debt that we have. And it just fell apart all by itself. And it fell apart all by itself because it wasn't a true system. There may have been some good ideas with the use of totalitarianism to bring it about. First, we killed 50 million people in order to bring about equality. It was just a wholly insane system. It will fall apart. And when it falls apart, <laughs> you know, then we can change. You know, it's then, then God says, welcome home. I mean, it, by that I mean, it's like the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son is at the bottom of the pit eating corn with the pigs, right. it's not till that point, it's not till he has this total crash and burn, that then in the Bible it says, and when he came to himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, think that's I know, I love news. that. 
you know, the good news is that at some point we will all come back to ourselves. You know, it, it's sad to watch. I have a good friend, um, no name mentioned, of course, uh, who's an alcoholic, and I just, I just, someday it's just got to end. You know, it's just gonna, the crash and burn will occur, and at that point. But in the meantime, there's this unfortunate suffering. Now, what, see, the, what the Course in Miracles is saying is, you don't have to do that. You don't have to go through these crash and burn experiences. Now, you could just get this. You could just start paying attention. You could read this book. You could do these workbook lessons. You could start to see what it is without going through all that suffering and pain. But the ego, the ego doesn't know how to learn. And because it doesn't know how to learn, it learns by trial and error, by failure, which is just, <laughs> you know, there's that wonderful section at the last very the last part of the book with trials of lessons presented once again where you made a faulty choice before you can now make a better one and thus avoid all pain your previous choice has brought to you and in every situation God says you know, I'm not quoting this exactly right now but choose once again so we can we can mm-hmm. choose once again and go the right way well and still it is so so challenging for all of us because we feel that we have a responsibility to our loved ones so to to intervene and to help them as i was saying before and the ego can get so entranced by thinking it's my responsibility to help everyone at the same time it is our uh our, our option to be able to help without energizing that people have a problem or that they need our help. Right. So would you, you just want to you want them you you want to let them know you're there. You want to let them let you love them, and that you will always love them, regardless of what you know. That's what the prodigal son story is. The father always loved the son. When the son comes home, the father doesn't. I think it's interesting what not said in the prodigal son. Sorry, one of the things that's not said, the father doesn't say when he comes home, yes, you've been a very good, naughty boy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a good guy, so I'm going to forgive you. He doesn't say a word about where he went or what he did. All he says is get a ring and put those money, get some sandals, put a, put a cloak on it, kill the fatty cat, call the musicians, we're going to have a party. That's the only thing that really matters. That we're, we're there when the turnaround occurs to to help out. My wife smoked for many, many, many years. And I never said a word. I never said to her about it. Never. I, I knew that someday she would quit. I just, someday she'd quit. And finally the day came. Mm. And I never said a word about it. It really wasn't necessary. And nagging somebody <laughs> is not very helpful. Complaining, all of that. Yeah. Right. Saying, don't you know what you're doing yourself? Of course people know what they're doing to so they're beating themselves up about it more than anybody else is. You know, you don't have to beat them up on top of their beating themselves up about it. You've got enough guilt going on already. Right. So it's very tempting to stand in the role of the controller, the manipulator. Right. Now, don't do that. That's why I let people be who they are. It's one, and as I said earlier, that's one of the hardest things for us to do. It's really, really hard for us. Now, in my experience, I think the most challenging thing for people really is the the sense of unworthiness. 
deep sense of unworthiness, deep sense of lack on their own part. And how do you, and of course that's egotistical as well, to think you're not good enough is actually incredibly egotistical. Well, it's make, it's it's one way of making yourself special in terms of the, yeah, in terms of the course, right? It's, and it's it's a judgment. Who is anyone to say that they're less than? Right. It's just a projection. It's just a perception. One of the nice things about the course is it it constantly assures us that you know you're not better than anybody else. You're not worse than anybody else. <laughs> You know, the the dark and the light is is inside everyone. It really is. You know, the the voice of the Holy Spirit is there, and the voice of the ego is there. And it's not really a battle. Just at some point, we realize that only one voice leads us to happiness, and that's the only voice that we really want to listen to. So, when people are really insecure, and um their mind seems to be uh, really focused on that. So they're looking at the whole world, all their relationships, their work, their job, their everything about their life, and they're consistently saying over and over again, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. What do you recommend? How do they get into where the rubber meets the road and shift their mind from focusing so intently on that particular thought. Well, I think that's one of the advantages of, of studying the Course in Miracles because the Course constantly has this reminder, you are the Son of God, you are my child, you are completely worthy, you know, that no judgment has been made against you, it doesn't make any difference. In the story of the prodigal son, let's go back, they keep coming to that one, right? The son goes off, he does this really kind of waste all the money on wanton living and, and all mm-hmm. of that. He feels very, very unworthy. He comes back to the father. He's, he's what he's going to say is, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. You know, just like, make me a hard servant. And the father doesn't see it. I mean, the father, <laughs> the father doesn't say a word about where he went or what he did. It doesn't make any difference, you know, because the only thing that matters is that you've come home, that you've turned around, that you that, that I accept you back because I recognize the truth of your being. And the course is constantly giving us this positive reinforcement about who we really are in truth. You really are the daughter of God or the son of God or whatever terminology you want to use, child of God. And that has a tremendous work. <laughs> it's just a matter of remembering the truth of who that's remembering the truth of who we really are and still people have I, I really think that that is the, the biggest challenge that most people face is they simply don't feel worthy and there's it, it, seemingly with some people there's a, a, this great attraction to not being worthy well, we they... think it is because it, I mean, the course does say, I mean, really the biggest problem we have is guilt. Mm-hmm. And the guilt is really over the fact that we feel as though, this is largely unconscious, that we have separated ourselves from God, that we mm-hmm. can't get back home again, that God wouldn't even accept us back home again, that there's no way 
But that's just not true. You know, God, God doesn't care where you went or what you did or the, the level of illusion that somebody gets caught in. It doesn't, an illusion's an illusion, it's an illusion. Drugs, alcohol, good illusion. Money, good illusion. Fame, good illusion. Pick an illusion. At some point, we'll awaken from all of the illusions <clears throat> and come home once again. And that will just totally be forgiven. That is totally forgotten because it had not, that was a part of the dreaming of the world. The dreaming of the world is not a part of who you are. That's the, the whole thing is about remembering who we are in truth. So how have you learned to, on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, train your mind to remember your true identity? How do you, I know you said stop, but how do you even remember to stop? Well, it's practice. That's where a lot of people, because they get so entranced in their pain. <clears throat> yeah, well, <clears throat> it, that, that's why we have 365 workbook lessons, really. It's, it's this constant process of practice, you know, practice, practice, and keep bringing the mind back, keep bringing the mind back. That's what the, the lessons are trying to help us to do. And if you even get just one lesson, I, I am as God created me, I'm God's holy son. And just every time we start to see ourselves going off course, Again, to stop and to recognize you could bring yourself back on course, that you could see this the way the Holy Spirit would have you see it, and that will indeed change everything. It, the course has got to become, <clears throat> and it's not just the course, the course, and the course it's, just, it's a pathway. And, and one of the things I love about the course, and anybody who really studies the course loves about the course, is the fact that it says of itself that it's a way, it's not the way. There's, there's, mm -hmm. It says many thousands of pathways back to God. Again, actually, there's billions because there's there's as, literally as many pathways as there are people on the planet that are really looking to get home to God. Once again. So we're we're all involved in this this same journey process. But it's at some point one of the advantages of the course <clears throat> is again the workbook lessons because. When you do these, and if you really do them by, by, by that, I mean that you can, you stick with it. You don't have to do them faithfully or every day, but that you, there's something inside you that that's becomes, sticks with it. What happens is there's a certain kind of alchemy that begins to happen inside you. Uh, alchemy means uh, turning, churning, cooking, mm -hmm. working things over, a kind of gestalt process that that happens that just is just constantly leading us into deeper and deeper but that's what's wonderful about it it's deeper deeper higher and higher go with the direction you want to go into what the truth really is so that what which we're progressively doing is engaged in this process of purification which is very alchemical uh, by purification that I always think it's interesting. The Course thoughts all, as you know, with 50 Miracles Principles, and uh, only number seven, it says something very clear about what happens for miracles to occur. Miracles are once right, but purification is necessary first. We let go of the faults, the valueless. And as we let go of the valueless, what is really valuable does come to the fore. It's that simple. There's nothing you've got to do to make it come to the fore except let go of what's not true. It's that 
unwinding and yeah. this is the thing is nothing has to be added there's no, such no. a there's such a perception sometimes with spiritual seekers that something has to be added no and it's really not it's like that uh metaphor of a a muddy glass of water sure. it's really just uh, it, it's eliminating the mud and then the water is clear right uh, there's a line in the Tao Te Ching which says, Muddy water left stand will clear. Just have to let it sit. <laughs> and it clears. Because all the mud goes... Stop stirring it up. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's why it's a, you know, the court place of sub-inches on, on quiet. And how often mm-hmm. at the end of a workbook lesson, for example, it'll say, Now be quiet. <laughs> and that's why there's this emphasis on do nothing because it's doing, as I said earlier, that gets into trouble and not not doing. Just mm-hmm. sitting, and that's why the importance of meditation is just to, to and breathing is just to be quiet and let it be. What the course is trying to get us to is to being. It talks about on page seventy that being is 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 the state in which the mind is in constant communication with everything that there is. Being is, is this wonderful, that's what the mystical experience, the mystical experience is just the experience of being, it's just the presence. It's one of the things that animals have, which we which we love so much about our, our pets, uh, because they have this sense of just, they're just present. <laughs> they're just there in this kind of immediacy, which is one of the reasons that we love them so much. They're That's not the judgmental. Course. Pardon? They're not judgmental. Right. You know, they got no reason to be <laughs> judgmental. <laughs> you could just have killed somebody and you come home and your dog's all over you like the most wonderful person in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They, they they don't really know how to hold a grudge. Absolutely not. Now, in terms of the stillness, what, because you've been working with the course for 36 years, so what is your recommendation for people who are looking to have a spiritual practice? So obviously you're recommending people to work the workbook, study sure. the text, the teacher's manual, that kind of thing. But in terms of their own personal practice and working with the stillness, what what do you recommend or suggest just to give people some Ideas. There's no good, you know. There's no right and no wrong. Right. Obviously, if we're willing, we will be guided by the Holy Spirit to what is the the best <coughs> practice for us. But what what do you what do you do yourself? Well, I don't know what I do. It's what anyone does. It's it's just watching, just seeing, seeing the projective mind, letting the projective mind go. With, Constantly, this, this constant process of let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Uh, be quiet. Let other people be who they are. Realize that any argument is always a mistake. It's just something that's going on in your head, and there's no place else. There's no reason to be projective. It's just seeing the projection and then stopping the projection right away. It's really, it, it gets easier, I think, as time goes by because it is a practice. It's like any other, it's like learning a course is like learning how to play 
a musical instrument or how learning a foreign language. <laughs> um, by that, I simply mean it, it does take work because there's, you, mm-hmm. you have to learn a new language. By a new language, I mean you have to learn how to reverse the insanity of the ego and start going the other way with the thought processes. It takes a lot to to slow that thing down and to actually put the brakes on it to actually get it eventually to stop. You know, and then once it does stop, then you can kind of begin to... There is a there is a correct use of projection as well, and the correct use of projection is just to be extending our love, regardless of what's going on. So we're extending love rather than, than extending the judgment that we're throwing out there onto the world at all times and in all places. Yeah, for me that's, yeah, it does. It takes practice, it takes commitment, it takes, for me one of the the words that I loved is devotion. To be devoted to love itself. It also takes a lot of of, of patience. One of the (laughs) characteristics of a teacher of God, one of my favorite lines in the Course is, um, how, oh gosh, I'm blanking at it right now. <laughs> but only infant patience produces immediate effect. Only infant patience. If you can be infinitely patient at any one moment, you're there. You, you've kind of got it. So it's just, it's being patient, especially with the, <laughs> what, what may seem to be the insane people of the world who are just your brothers and sisters who are just temporarily forgot who they are, that's all. And every... I, I was talking with Ken Wapnick a couple of weeks ago on my radio show, and uh, uh, and he was talking about just the littlest bit of frustration or irritation right. is... It's, it's evidence of right. that. That's yeah. right. Attack thought... And of course, can... even a mild annoyance is, is the same thing as rage, really. If it's taking exactly. a piece of God away from you. Exactly, and that's what Ken was saying. And and yeah. for some people, that can be really daunting. And for me, I, it's it's when I notice I feel frustrated or irritated, then I just know I have wandered away from my loving heart and into the projection and thinking that things should be different than they are. Right. And it's a cry for love. So I love myself first, Mm. and then I can be loving with others. You know, it's really, I think it's really valuable, John, for people to recognize that cultivating the habits of being devoted it it does take a tremendous effort a tremendous effort it is not easy if it were easy everyone would do it and yet it is a tremendous act of self-love and that in and of itself lets the ego know that we're not interested in that anymore it's a tremendous effort in the beginning, it's like breaking a habit and breaking a bad mm-hmm. habit. You know, it, mm-hmm. it takes a lot to break a bad habit. Mm-hmm. But once you really, really do it, I mean, you know, once the the day comes when you don't even think about wishing you had a cigarette or wishing you had a drink, mm-hmm. or wishing you had a, 
when it doesn't even occur to you. I mean, eventually it, it does get easy. It, it does. It, the, the Course actually says, you know, we should be able to get to the point where listening to the voice of God could become an automatic, where you don't even have to think about, oh, I'm insane, oh, I'm, I'm an ego, I ought to stop this. You know, it's just the direction of the GPS is telling you exactly what to do, and you're following the GPS. That's right. And you're just doing what it tells you to do, and the results are pretty marvelous. And it's like anything else. The more willing we are, the faster it happens. Right. And the seeming challenges are there to assist us in releasing the temptation, the attraction for the temptation to choose separation. One of the things I think we need to be aware of, though, in terms of the Course, if you look at the the six stages in the development of trust that, that are the beginning of the of the manual for teachers. Teachers' and manual, yeah, chapter four. Of a teacher of God. <laughs> What's really interesting is you go through those. Uh, <laughs> it looks like stage. You're doing really well. When you get to stage four, it looks like you're doing really well. Things are kind of all figured out. You kind of got it. And then stage five is a crash and burn. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, I don't. None of us really know how much stuff is buried deep inside, and we shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. though we do this work and though things may clear up in one area, it's kind of going around in a spiral that that leaves mm-hmm. us higher and higher, and we shouldn't be surprised that we come back around over a similar area once again, but in a deeper way. And, I mean, you think that you've got the peace of God, and now the doctor tells you you have cancer. Okay, so how's your mm-hmm. peace of mind right now? You know, you mm-hmm. still, you're still there? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, so. Yeah, I'm just, sure that worked you over when you, when or, you know, the opportunity to choose peace was very close to you when you had that heart attack well sure i mean that that uh, that, that makes you stop and uh <laughs> <laughs> literally right I, you could leave here at any moment now you know <laughs> it really makes you see things different it's amazing what some people are in uh those kind of i just <laughs> one of the things i kept doing during that time was telling my wife how much i loved her <laughs> ah well, that's what happens, you know, when, you know, when yeah. it's like uh, the jig may be up, and what are you, you going to do? You're going to go for the, the biggest truth that you go for. Yes. Yeah. Well, we are at time here. I'm going to um, offer a, a blessing to close us out. And, and before I do, I, I want to thank you, John. Uh, this has been sure. absolutely delightful, and well, I... I can feel a lot of people are uh, going to benefit from listening and re-listening to this class, and uh, they'll hear more and more insight and particularly uh, clues of where to look in A Course in Miracles. And uh, last week, by the way, uh, our topic was trust and faith, and uh, I talked about that trust section in the teacher's manual, and I really do recommend 
that people study that. It's chapter 4, right? What are the characteristics of the teacher's teacher of God and and trust is number one and it it really is key to being able to release the habits of the ego so I'm I'm glad you brought that up John and uh, and I encourage people to tell us your website again John well it's very simple it's just miraclesmagazine.org it's .org not .com and miracles is plural miraclesmagazine.org and they can get a free sample copy of the magazine by clicking on the place there where you order a free sample copy. It comes in the mail. It's not an email. I mean, it's a type newsletter. And uh, they would get the November, December issue. They would get up one by first class. It would be coming out when they go out to everybody else that are already paid subscribers. And your book, Living a Course in Miracles, so to... Barnes and Noble. This people and doing just that. Right. Right. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Let's let's place our hand on our heart right now and I invite everybody to take a breath of gratitude with me. Well we we can be grateful for things just as they are. We're in that place of partnering up with the holy self, the higher self, the Holy Spirit, and we can be in that place of gratitude that we can accept responsibility, and that is healing, that is a loving act, and so right now, invoking divine grace into our awareness, invoking the Holy Spirit the higher self to do the heavy lifting of the judgments and opinions. We cultivate our willingness and that willingness really is the key. We're grateful to recognize that right now. That we can release the habit of assigning blame and instead love ourselves enough to accept responsibility and to Accept this partnership with the Holy Spirit and with all of our brothers and sisters. So grateful and so thankful right now to accept peace for ourselves and to share the benefits with everyone. In grace and gratitude, we joyfully let it be. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. And in uh, a little less than 12 hours from now, we have the homework class. I hope you'll join me then. And 48 hours to listen to this replay. It will be up and available in about an hour or two from now. So enjoy. Thank you so much, John. And God bless everyone. Thank you. (laughs) Good night. This is Jennifer Hadley again. I invite you to remember that your dedication to your life of love is the best gift that you can share with the world. Love is the only healer, and it's always available to you for the asking. Remember, too, that you cannot have that which you're unwilling to share. Share the love today 
love out loud and know that all boats rise on this holy tide of love. Thank you for joining us. Please go to jenniferhadley.com for more tools and practical loving support every day.